Today's episode of the Mets Up Podcast is sponsored by Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. First off, that's huge. And that's what we use here on the Mets Up Podcast. I highly suggest it. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your own phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many other streaming services. And you're allowed to make money from your podcast from day one with no minimum listenership. It's literally everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So make sure you guys download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. What is up, Mets fans? Back here for episode number 49 of the Mets Up Podcast. Of course, I'm your co-host, Giraffe Neckmark, here with James Shiano. Jeter had no range. Talking about the New York Mets, and specifically the Subway Series that just wrapped up against the New York Yankees. Might be one of the best-played Subway Series of all time. Might be one of the most entertaining ones. Whether you're a Mets or a Yankees fan... I think that was very enjoyable baseball to watch on both sides. Obviously, a little more more enjoyable for us here uh, as the Mets fans in Queens. But I think even if you're a Yankee fan, you you can watch those games. You could say, that was really good baseball. Either way, back and forth, a lot of storylines, a lot of little juicy gossip going on, a little bit of cheating accusations being thrown around. This one was one of the best of all time as the Subway Series. So we're going to talk about it. We're going to go through everything. We're going to talk about the huge Lindor performance. Three home runs in one game. We got Lindor calling out the Yankees for cheating as well. A little Javi Baez, Giancarlo Stanton scuffle. A little bit of Game 2 drama. Game 1, we had someone throw a beer at Aaron Judge. I mean, there was a lot going on this series. We're going to talk about it as always. I will say this. Last episode, I was down. I was out. I said the season's over. I'm back. I'm back on the bull. I'm back on the horse. I'm back on the bandwagon. The season's not over. This team's playing good baseball. And when Francisco Lindor plays like this, we can't lose many games. So we're going to go through it. Of course, make sure you're following us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at MetsUp, the YouTube channel if you want to watch a video version. MetsUp Podcast, search it up. You'll be able to find us there. If you're listening to us, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, anywhere you listen to podcasts, you will be able to find us. So make sure you're listening and following and dropping us a rating and a review. It really does help us out grow this podcast. And I think that's pretty much it for my shameless plugging. James, how are you feeling? I know you were at game one, so I can imagine the vibes were just electric. I agree with everything you said. This is one of the best series of the entire season across all of baseball. This felt like those Dodgers-Padres series that got really hot at the end of last year. It was a playoff atmosphere every single game. That's really all you can ask for when you're watching September baseball. It was engaging. It was exciting. There was clutch performances. There was pressure-packed situations. Guys blew the game. Guys saved the game. It was everything you could want for a baseball series, including the Yankees losing. Yeah, of course, because the Yankees losing is just the cherry on top of everything. It feels like baseball had been a little quiet the last few weeks. We got a little college football back. We got a little bit of the NFL season starting as well this weekend, but it feel like it, but it felt like that the Mets in this Yankee series was able to kind of take over the narrative. I mean, the Mets got the back page of the paper today, and that's with the Jets and Giants both having games that they definitely could have done some headlines on. So I think that's pretty big. The Jets and Giants also both played like pure dog shit. Well, that's why I think they could have gotten the headline because yeah. they were just bad. I mean, we're not a football podcast here, but I know that's not good. That's not good football. No, it was bad football. Very bad football. But game one, I was in attendance just to move into the game breakdowns here. I was in attendance with my dad and a couple of friends. Went to Peter Luger's beforehand, a little, little Father's Day treat. It was a w- wonderful day of baseball, nice weather. It was awesome. Broke out the Hefner jersey, got a few laughs. 
1-0 and also, 1-0 from the Hefner jerseys. We're going to keep that going the next couple weeks. And first win for the Mets in the new black jerseys. So yes, first win. As much as the black bucket hat might have been, you know, the thing that cursed us, the black Hefner jersey, that's the thing that's bringing us back. Absolutely. And because it was a black jersey game, the Mets gave up a run the first inning because they've done that every single black jersey game without fail. Three of those that I've been at, and I've seen it happen. So that's okay. Just to start breaking down the game, Jeff McNeil had absolutely no business diving for that Brett Gardner blooper. Just gave him two extra bases for no good reason. Just a few episodes after we were lauding McNeil's outfield defense, how underrated it is, I think he had a pretty rough series out there. He was definitely trying to make something happen, which I think sometimes that can be good if you're Byron Buxton, if you're one of the elite outfielders in Major League Baseball defensively. For Jeff McNeil, who is a average to above average left fielder, especially compared to what we've had recently out there, He's just got to be able to almost play the game a little safe for us there. Try not to make too many things happen, but I get it. Jeff's not doing too much with the bat right now, so he's trying to make an impact in the field. It just was in this first inning with Brett Gardner a little bit too much. I mean, Brett Gardner's not getting a double on that if you just keep it in front of you. There's no way. That's the only reason you would have dove for it if it was like a double no matter what, and it just wasn't. It's also just fucking ridiculous that the Yankees have this batting order with a lot of good hitters, subjectively, and Brett Gardner is in the two-hole. Yeah. Like, can, can you answer that question for me? Why? I'm going to give the same answer that I would give if the Mets had an order like this, which we have seen. It, it, as much as I think Aaron Boone is a, a moron and a terrible manager to play devil's advocate here, I give Luis Rojas a lot of slack when it comes to the lineup because I don't think he designs it. So I'm assuming that Brian Cashman's doing the same thing, especially when it was so blatantly obvious that Aaron Boone was brought in to be a pawn piece and to not really make any decisions. It seems like whenever he does, they definitely go wrong, which we'll talk about a little bit later in this. But yeah, the fact that Brett Gardner hits anywhere besides ninth in this order, unless Tyler Wade's playing that day, I mean, it's it's disgusting. It's despicable. He doesn't even walk. Like I don't get it. Like The left-handed, right-handed matchups are not important enough to put Brett Gardner in the fucking two-hole. They're just not. There's no way. He doesn't get on base enough. He doesn't hit for any power whatsoever. He's a bad baseball player at this point in his career. And all the Yankee fans sitting in my section agreed with me wholeheartedly. I think anybody who's got a clue about baseball understands that Brett Gardner has existed on this Yankees team somehow. I don't know what dirt he has on the front office. Brian Cashman, whatever he's doing by behind closed doors, but Brett Gardner has continuously been getting paid by this team. I made a big joke about it in the offseason when they traded Adovino to save those $4 million or whatever it was, and I was like, I can't wait to see them spend that $4 million on re-signing Brett Gardner, and up like a week later, what do you know? They re-signed Brett Gardner, and I think the other guy they got was Justin Wilson too. Ooh, so scary. Like, I don't understand how he keeps getting this much playing time. He's got to be the luckiest guy in Yankees history that he stayed on this team for what? 15 years of his career at least he looks exactly the same if you show a picture of Brett Gardner in 2009 a picture of Brett Gardner today he looks exactly the same person is it crazy to say that he might be getting better it's just he was not very good to begin with so he might have been having his best years towards the end here he's just been completely the same the whole time literally but yeah he, he made an impact of course because we don't get bad left-handed hitters out that are slap hitters aka Andrew Stevenson so it doesn't really surprise me that Brett Gardner was a thorn in our side here in game one but here's the thing As good as the Yankees might have appeared, I think we're starting to realize that they're just not as good as a team as we thought. And in the same hand, we kind of did this with the Mets too. We thought this Mets team had a World Series potential. And as we've watched more and more games, we do realize that there's issues here. I think the Mets and the Yankees are one in the same in that a little bit overhyped, underperforming a little bit. I think it's hard to make that direct comparison right now because could you even imagine where the Yankees would be without Garrett Cole? And that's how the Mets have existed for two months now without Jacob deGrom. That is true. And the Yankees, realistically, after as the series concludes, are 15 games over 500 with a 13-game winning streak mixed in. If you literally cut out those two weeks where the Yankees were just world beaters and on fire... 
they're a 500 team. And again, you need win streaks like that to get yourself to the playoffs. That elevates your floor. We talked about this when the Mets had that like seven-game win streak in May. Thank God we had that because Lord knows where we would have been two weeks ago. But the Yankees are just like a fine team who like has an ace and got really fucking hot for two weeks. There's definitely some like serious holes in that team and that lineup and how they play the game. I mean, some of the guys that they throw out there, like we talked about Gardner and that Tyler Wade plays as much as he does is also insane because Tyler Wade is just not a good baseball player by any means. Also, the fact that they just have a catcher who's inept on defense in Gary Sanchez. I was so happy to see that tag. I was so happy. I'm like, oh, there he fucking is. There's Gary Sanchez. That shitty awful defensive catcher as bad as McCann's been this year I've been hearing it from Yankee fans all year long oh McCann stinks we got Gary Sanchez first off let's let's get off the Gary Sanchez train that thing is sailed he is no longer even remotely in the conversation I think of a top 10 catcher in baseball I think he's arguably a top 10 catcher just because he still has such prolific power and the catcher position is such a black hole offensively for most teams I'm sure a lot of the organizations in baseball will be willing to sacrifice a lot of defense for a lot of offense but Gary Sanchez gives negative defense, and it was really shown on this tag play. For the listeners at home, I think it was Conforto. He smoked a single to yeah. uh, might have been Baez. I don't remember. I don't remember who hit it, but VR's running because VR's of course running. He is. Yeah. So the ball gets to Joey Gallo in left field, and it's in his glove. And Jonathan VR is like a half step away from third base, and Gary DeSarcin is just letting that shoulder fly, just sending him around for no goddamn reason because like there were. Two outs, so I think McNeil is also on deck against Jordan Montgomery. And the chance of Jeff McNeil getting a hit off Jordan Montgomery at this point in the season were slim to none. So you fucking, you make something happen. Jonathan VR, he'll do something crazy. And sure enough, Gary Sanchez just matadored the tag, just completely whiffed. Allowed Jonathan VR to slide in, tapped him on the head, which is, if anyone has played baseball as either catcher, like middle infield position, position where you have to tag, that's a spot you're not supposed to tag people. It's a miss. Big time yeah. miss. Like watching it, I'm like, he got him on the head. He literally can't be out. There's no way. His foot is going to beat getting touched on the head. Gary Sanchez is so inept behind the plate. He just, I don't know if he doesn't give a shit, if he doesn't care, or if he's like actually just untalented at the position that he plays. Whatever it is, thank goodness he's back there because any other catcher in Major League Baseball, and I mean anyone, maybe Wilson Ramos, that might be the only guy who doesn't do it, makes that tag and the Mets are out of the inning, kills a rally. Jonathan VR, the juice man, I feel like he probably just got in Gary Sanchez's head a little bit because he's crazy. You don't know what he's going to do. I was at the game with one of my friends who was a high school catcher. Shout out Mike. And he was just up in arms. He was like, how could you do that? How could you miss that? You go out there and get the guy. <laughs> yes. Mike, Mike, a very good defensive catcher too. Fantastic. It was just, the throw beat him by literally six steps. I've almost never seen a throw from an outfield beat a guy by that much. It's because Joey Gallo has like a howitzer attached to his right arm. The guy's a fucking monster. But like, what are you doing? And, of course, Joey Gallo got us back the next inning with a nuke, moonshot. He hasn't been hitting all year long since joining the Yankees. The guy has been ice cold, and he will do this. He will go through these just stretches where he cannot touch a baseball. He is a three-true outcome guy at the absolute most like basic level of it. Home run, walk, strikeout. That's what Joey Gallo does. He just happened to hit one of those home runs this time while in like a 0-for-20-something stretch. He was ice cold. But... I think it's important to note that that was basically the only mistake that Tyler McGill made all night in what I think was the best start of his young career. Which is crazy because, you know, a couple of weeks ago we were being told that Tyler McGill is going to become a maybe middle reliever that at best, you know, that this guy doesn't have much. And he took down the, the big and mighty New York Yankees. So, I mean, we got to be talking about the Jacob deGrom hype train again, right, with Tyler McGill? I mean, if Kay Feldman's listening to this, and I know she is, like, I think the most brilliant baseball mind that she exists as, like, I just want an apology maybe to Tyler McGill, maybe. Maybe say you're sorry to the guy. Maybe don't compare him to Jacob DeGrom. Or maybe continue it. Keep talking trash. Eh. Maybe it's what fires him up because he's pitching well. I bet it does because he was like stalking around the mound that game. He was like snapping the glove. He was showing some emotion. Even though the Mets, by the time 
this game like got to the middle innings, winning by a lot of runs, and we'll talk about that later. But he was just so in command. At one point between the third, fourth, and fifth, or fourth, fifth, and sixth innings, he retired 11 out of 12 batters. I guess it would have been another inning. Probably the third, fourth, fifth, sixth. That was it. Retired 11 out of 12 Yankees. He wound up with seven, through seven innings with 10 strikeouts, only gave up four hits, one walk, two earned runs. Two of those hits were in the first inning as well. It was just fucking economical. It was a beautiful, beautiful start. And especially in a game that was like kind of out of control for the first three or four innings. There was a lot of emotion. There was a lot of energy. There were a lot of base runners on both sides. He just really tapered everything down and put the Mets very, very in control to win a game. And a big reason for that was that the umpire had a very wide zone, it seemed like. I don't know how it looked on television, but there were some very blatantly obvious um, strike calls that I thought should not have been strikes early on in this game. Yeah, the umpiring was rough all around. I mean, anytime you have the crew chief, or I don't even know if he was crew chief, but anytime you have Angel Hernandez on the umpiring staff, which he was in this game, he wasn't behind the plate for game one. He was behind it for, I think, game three, maybe. It was first base in game one because my friend Mike, who knows like six players in Major League Baseball, he said it was the first Mets game he'd been to in years. He could name four guys in the team. We're sitting in the upper deck on the first base side, and he points. He goes, that's Angel Hernandez at first base. We're like, how the fuck did you know that? And we looked it up, and it was Angel Hernandez at first base. He went out and ran out to right field and told them to turn off the lights because uh, Fox Sports lights were just on during the first inning. That's why there was that big delay in case anyone uh, didn't know. Yeah, um, know. yeah that, that was the reason for that. But yeah, bad umpiring crew for sure. I don't care. Helped us out. You're going to help us win. I'm not going to complain ever. I will not do that. I will be that fan. It helps me. I'm happy. 100%. And then just to wrap up like McGill's analysis here, he just ripped fastballs, the thing he was doing before, and this time it just worked. He threw him two-thirds of the time, 66 out of 98 pitches, which is kind of a hilarious amount. Just gas in 95, and the Yankees couldn't really touch it. He was dotting him up, corners, high, low, mixing everywhere. Weirdly, this seemed to be a little bit of a theme with the Mets against the Yankees this weekend. I feel like there was a lot of fastballs, especially from relief pitchers, which we will get to at one point. No, there was. I'll, I'll get to that after. Cause also because Carrasco and Taiwan threw a lot of four-seam fastballs. Carrasco especially, who isn't not really a guy who wins with velocity. But again, we'll talk about that after. But the thing about McGill with throwing that many fastballs, he was really good at using his off-speed stuff to catch the Yankees off guard. He threw 14 change-ups and 17 sliders, which is a pretty small amount like relative to what he usually does. But each of them got at least 50% whiffs. That's great. So when you're riding that and you're dotting up your four-seamer on the, on, the, on the black, can't lose. And he did his fucking job and he did, did it. We, we may not know what kind of pitcher he ultimately ends up being. I think this type of start assures you that he will be a starting pitcher. I think that it shows that he's got what it takes. One thing that's for sure, he has got all the frigging confidence in the world. This dude, like you said, owns the mound, and it's such a breath of fresh air when we've had guys like Mats and David Peterson who can be a little bit down on themselves, a little bit like Eeyore on the mound, where it's just like, oh, woe is me. Like, McGill gets in trouble. He's like, nah, fuck you. I'm coming back out here. Let's go. Like, he, he battles. He fights. Yeah, definitely. And while he was out there battling and fighting, the Mets' offense was out there battling and fighting. We just were scoring so many bullshit runs every Every single inning because the Yankees, like we said, are bad at baseball. We had an entire ass rally, and I think it was the third inning, where the Mets only hit one ball hard, and it was from James McCann. We scored four <laughs> runs. We got infield singles, walks. Glaber made an error. Giovanni Urshela made an error. It was just, it looked like a Little League team out there for half the game. Well, the Yankees just don't play good defense. They were like... They have a bad defensive alignment. They have a defensive alignment that is reminiscent of what the Mets would throw out on a field. Glaber Torres playing shortstop. He's just not a good shortstop. He's not really much of a great second baseman either. He's fine at that position. You move him to shortstop, he's lost. He has no clue, no range. 
Can't, stone hands, awful. People like to talk about Gio Urshela. Oh, you should win a gold glove. Gio Urshela's like, defensive metric numbers are just really not that good. He does not make the routine plays. He'll make the spectacular play every once in a while, but he struggles on some routine balls. He is by no means this fielding wizard in the likes of Matt Chapman, Nolan Arenado. He's not in that same category, which some Yankee fans will like to tell you, and it really showed in this game. That throw he made home with bases loaded one out was so off-target. It like, wasn't even funny. It was, just a, it was a ground ball. He had to move to his glove side. Like He got dirty, I believe. It wasn't like an easy play but also wasn't the hardest I've ever seen and it was just he was inept it was completely airmailed this game would have been totally different if Giovanni Urshela was able to make that throw home and get the guy and could have, they could have turned double play the first base but he couldn't and then the Mets just went uh gangbusters after that yep Lindor home run Javi double I mean it was super nice to see those guys hitting together and playing well and boy have these guys been playing well especially since they've come back with each other. I mean, Javi has the highest OPS among all the Cubs that were traded at the deadline. I think he has like a 9-11, which is like weird. That might be the number. 9-23. Okay, 9-23 since the trade. It is 100 points higher than the next guy, which I think is Chris Bryant because Rizzo's been struggling a little bit here. Mm -hmm. Javi Baez is playing himself into what feels like is going to be a contract extension with the New York Mets, I feel like. I'm starting to agree with you too. He still did his Javi stuff where he got got thrown out at third base in back-to-back innings, which is just... (laughs) outrageous he tried to steal third with one out off of Jordan Montgomery right before McCann hit the double so we could have gotten additional run for that but he was literally just walking off the base like he was in literal no man's land and Montgomery turned around and was like what are you doing <laughs> he just like ran at him with the ball how he just like stood there he was like shuffling it's bizarre to watch him play every day but you cannot argue with the type of production he's had he has a 150 WRC plus and 923 OPS like we just said since the trade with seven home runs in 29 games to go along with 23 runs scored and 13 RBIs. This is exactly what we were talking about when the trade happened. Uh, We didn't know if he could do it, but at least he can do it. Like, it's possible. He has something in his body that can turn him into one of the best players in baseball. He's not able to do it on a consistent basis, and you can't really count on it, but it's in there, and it's showing. Also, he's, uh, I think, doubled his walk rate since coming to the Mets. He's got five walks and 121 plate appearances as opposed to 15 and 361. So if we got a little more patient Javi here, that's, that's something to talk about. And he's cut his K rate by 10% between his time with the Cubs this year and his time with the Mets. 36% with the Cubs and I think 26% with the Mets. Well, something that we talked about was that this Mets team struggled to make people pay on their mistakes. Javi Baez, you make a mistake, he is crushing it. And he has yes. been doing that recently, which is like such a breath of fresh air. We talk about VRB and the juice, man. Javi Baez brings a lot of juice as well. The thumbs down thing, that's over and forgotten about now. Who gives a shit? Because the guy's playing out of his mind and the team's starting to win again. I had a pretty awful thought when I was leaving this game on Friday. What'd you have? What if we also got Jose Barrios the trade deadline? I know. <laughs> like, especially <laughs> when, when that report came out afterwards that the Mets didn't want to give up Dom Smith or Jeff McNeil. Yeah. Dom's the one that I really scratched my head you with. Couldn't, you couldn't have traded, like, Dom and Mauricio, two of our guys, but you couldn't have traded Dom and Mauricio for Jose Barrios. And even if you ended up trading Dom and McNeil, you couldn't give in peanuts for Adam Duvall or Eddie Rosario or Corey Dickerson and filled that corner outfield spot like that. It would have been nice if the Mets just really, they, they pushed for it. But I, I think the front office got a little prudent. I think they got a little prudent for sure. Yep. But that's game one. Game one. Good win. Good Great victory win. by the Mets. Good vibes, especially after what was the just absolute train wreck in Miami. Needed something to pick our spirits up here. And it did. And that led us into game two, which was, you know, one of the more, I guess, emotional games of the year. Just because 20th anniversary of 9-11, mm-hmm. Mets versus Yankees. You saw them all get on the line with each other, like in between Mets-Yankees, Mets-Yankees flip-flopping. So there's a lot of solidarity. Two teams bringing everybody together. It was nice. It was good. 
And it was a roller coaster of a game. This game was all over the place. You were obviously uh, all over the place too. You're in the city. You came to our apartment. We were out in Queens, all over the place. Watching the game, we thought it was over. Then James McCann decides he's going to be Superman. I mean, we have so much to talk about here. Let's just start off from the rip first. Yankees went up big early. That's yeah. the that's the big story. Taiwan just couldn't really get any of the Yankees out early. Aaron Judge is very good. John Carl Stanton hits the ball very hard. Kyle Higashioka, who I hate for some reason, just like you can't let that guy hit a home run. It's ridiculous. The home run stroker, Kyle Higashioka. That's <laughs> is, one of the best calls that, that John that Sterling's ever done. Yeah, I wish he hit more home runs so we could hear that more often. It's pretty electric. I will say that. He may not know what's happening on the field, but no one gives you a better home run call than John home Sterling. Home run stroker, Kyle Higashioka. I mean, that guy is essentially like somewhat almost turned into Gary and where he's like, I will hit 180. I will hit home runs, but I play good defense. Yes. That is where I have the extra value. He's the poor man's Mike Zunino. Yeah. That, oh, that's such a good comparison. Very, yeah, right? very good. Especially because Mike Zunino is like the poor man's like Yasmani Grandal. <laughs> <laughs> The interesting thing about this game, though, is we talk about, you know, Judge, Stanton, all these guys hitting early. We got a little development after game three, which is that the Yankees might have been picking up some pitches that Taiwan was tipping, that Taiwan could have been tipping them. And there's apparently a, a little bit of whistle that comes out. And apparently the Mets took a liking to it, which we'll talk about more in game three. But, I mean, Taiwan got shelled. Mm-hmm. I-, I could see it. I'm not one to accuse. We, I have no proof. And even Lindor said... I have no proof. I'm not going to accuse, but I could see it. Also, because the offense seemed to curtail after those first few innings. Yes. Once something was called out, it seemed like Taiwan was in control, especially because otherwise, Taiwan was in control. Like, he got a ton of whiffs this game. All three of the primary pitches he threw his four seam, his slider, his splitter, had a called swing strike rate over 33%. He had eight strikeouts in six innings. They just actually teed off early. They were just really hitting the ball hard. And they were hitting the ball hard. The Yankees, I think, had five balls in play this game above 104 miles an hour. They were crushing it. It happened. But it seemed like he was more in control after that than it looked like he would have been the way the Yankees were hitting the ball early. Which is like so traditionally like the opposite of what happens in a game, especially for Taiwan. Third time through the order, you're supposed to start seeing a little bit more pressure and stuff, and it seemed like he just got more comfortable. So maybe he made a tweak. Maybe there was no whistling going on. Whatever it was, we got to come back, though, with a rally, which was crazy because we were led by Pilar, McCann, and Taiwan yeah. with the bats, which... That's not a sentence I ever expected to say in this season. Maybe one time in, in June when we had a AAA lineup, not here in September playing the Yankees. Dude, Kevin Pillar is actually hot right now. He will give you that. He will, he will just get hot like this. Dude, he had the hardest ball in play for the Mets for the fifth time in the last nine games. That just doesn't feel right. <laughs> but it happens. He has a 950 OPS since September 1st with five extra base hits and 11 RBIs. That's not even two weeks of baseball. No, that's that's really good. That's like huge production that we definitely need, especially for an offense or a team that's offense has been struggling. It's been crazy that we can look to Kevin Pillar to give us some RBIs and extra base hits. And McCann double dipped. He hit the big home run off Lucas. Uh, what's the guy's name? Ludige? Lukey. Lukey Ludige? No, Lucas Lukey. Lucas Lukey. That guy's, you pronounce that Lukey? Lukey. That's ridiculous. I'm going to say Luda J. I like Luda J a lot better. But we can't hit the home run off him. And he's also just like kind of in a baby hot streak right now because he's been so bad for months that we just, he's due for a tiny baby hot streak. Like he had a couple, uh, he had one in July. He had one he was playing first base in May. He's due for a little bit. Two weeks, two weeks with the bat. Well, how about not just the home run? He had a friggin' triple. Well, that was in the rally with Pilar. I thought we talked about yeah. that. Well, no, I don't think we even talked about it, that James McCann had a home run and a triple in this game, which might be the most production that he's given this team ever, ever. 
when we were hanging out, we were on cycle watch. We were. We thought that there was a chance that James McCann could hit for this cycle, which is not anything I'd ever say. To speak a little bit more on James McCann here, it's just so blatantly obvious we need a left-handed catcher because James McCann actually hits left-handed pitching pretty well, especially for the catcher position. He just simply has no idea what to do against righties, against lefties this year. 107 plate appearances, 269 average, 355 on base, 441 slugging, 796 OPS. That is a very, very serviceable catcher split platoon right there. Is there someone with a left-hand bat that we could find to hit the righties? Because against the righties, he's got a 622 OPS. He has no clue what's going on there. That's a real shame because that's like the one position you just can't platoon. We just need to find a righty who can hit righties. Really, what yeah. we need to find is a good catcher that McCann can platoon with. Well, like now that like, you know, we've got Francisco Alvarez coming up. Let's try to, like, maximize that catcher position a little bit here. We just just find one left-handed bat. There's got to be somebody. Jason, Jason Castro, does he hit righties well? Jason Castro, is he even, he's on the Angels still? Yeah, I know that he was a platoon guy for a while with, like, Martin Maldonado. I would take Maldonado just to be a really good defensive player for 100 games and let McCann just bash lefties. Yeah, so, I mean, again, lefty. This game, there you go. James McCann smashing lefties. Lucas Lukey. lefty on Friday, Jordan Montgomery. Yep, so well. he's definitely got something against the lefties here, something to keep an eye out for, for sure. I, the Mets rallied. We really did. That being said, just gave it, gave it right back. Gave it right back. We didn't give it right back. It took a few innings. Like, we were winning through the sixth, into the seventh. Lugo had a very clean inning. Kevin Plar had another, nice. another RBI single, tacked one on. And then Trevor May came in. And Aaron Judge had the moonshot. Trevor May was doing this weird thing, right, where he was just throwing, like, all fastballs only. And I know that was the Mets, like, seemed to be their MO this weekend was fastball, fastball, fastball. But Trevor May's fastball, like, is just not good enough, and I feel like this is something we've accused of him in the past sometimes, is too much fastball that it gets hit, especially when his command's not on, and it just, it got smacked around. His fastball is good, though. Like, if you're going to make a mistake, at least make it at 100 miles an hour, which is what he does, and he's been pretty consistent over the last month or two. It's just, you're a reliever sometimes, you're high variance, you're going to give up a home run to Aaron Judge. It's just a shame that fucking Brett Gardner was on base again for this fucking home run, because for some reason, it just worked out him hitting the two-hole this series. Well, it's just kind of how the Yankees have been rolling always, since Brett Gardner seems to be a two-hole hitter for them for the last, like, three years for some reason. It doesn't make sense. It sucked. That one was deflating. That was like, oh, man, we really had a chance to, like, bury this team, especially because, like, to build onto this, like, narrative of the Yankees choking away the playoffs, I think the Blue Jays were winning that day. The A's might have been winning. Like, there was a world where, like, whoa, the Yankees were in real trouble. Could have been... A little bit, one of the nails in the coffin. But also, at this point in the game, we were not yet losing. May gave up a hit to Stanton for his third consecutive base runner, brought Loop in the game, who, I don't want to say Aaron Loop is regressing, but he definitely seems to be much more mortal. His first battery face, Anthony Rizzo, put one to the warning track that looked like it was probably going out. And then Gleyber Torres got a dinky little infield single. And then Loop got the double play ball he was looking for, and Javi just couldn't complete the return. Yeah, just couldn't a little clean on the uh, the transfer, I guess that is technically, right? The transfer? Yeah. I think return, transfer, whatever it is. Stunk really could have used it. Really would have been big, especially because Yankees went ahead. But it, it happened. I, I don't know how to feel about this one. It was just it was a little deflating a little bit. I was worried, but also like I was still in the mindset of the season's over, so let's just have fun and enjoy it while it lasts. And the Mets did, they did fight. They did fight in this game, no doubt. Like, there was no giving up. They played hard. I couldn't be upset. No, definitely. Pete has that bat in the eighth inning when VR and Lindor were on. I thought something was going to happen. J.D. Davis did a ground rule double in the ninth off of Chapman because Chapman's also just super mortal at this point in his career. The Mets have already showed that once back in uh, 4th of July. We just couldn't get the big hit. And team gotten some big hits over the last few weeks, like not including the Mar- Marlins series, of course, but 
It happened. Whatever. Lose a game, you lose a game. Lose a game, it's going to happen again. They're a good team. They still are, like, on paper. It's going to be tough to beat the Yankees. You're not playing, again, the Pittsburgh Pirates, who you lose a game like that to the Pirates, we're upset, as you've seen from us and they did. in the past. Yeah, and they have. Game three now. Let's talk about this one, because, wow. Game of the year for the Mets, I think. Maybe one of the games of the year for all of baseball. This was an incredibly exciting game to watch. It was a damn shame it was on Sunday Night Baseball. Mm-hmm. The only good thing that came out of it was Matt Vaskersian was losing his goddamn mind every single time the ball went into the air. Matt Vaskersian, I'll just jump ahead to some notes I had. Like we're going to end up talking about Lindor a lot. When he hit the first home run, the second inning, Matt Vaskersian was screaming at the top of his lungs that Francisco Lindor just found his signature Mets moment. Bro, it's the second fucking inning. Are you joking? Or the third, whatever that one was. Little did he know that he would somehow be right about the date for the signature moment, just not that home run. Not that inning. I just couldn't believe he was like, oh, Francisco Lindor in a year of turmoil has done it. His Mets signature. Bro, we have six more innings to play. How could you think this game is over? Of course, it was far from over. A lot of shit was going on. But, okay, back to the beginning of the game. DJ LeMahieu walked to start the game for the, back for the second time in as many nights and came around to score after the leadoff walk for the second time in as many nights. Carlos Carrasco first inning. Like, I don't want to, like, pick on this narrative, but it's, like, true as shit. Like, you can't really do much about it. Every time, every single time, he gives up a run the first inning. It's like, we'll see. We'll see what it is next year. I'm not looking too much into it, like you said. We don't want to build this narrative, but we can't not talk about it. We just won't get worried, I think. He threw a fat pitch at John Carlos Stanton for that double. I don't know why he threw him a fastball. I guess the, the book is just throw fastballs against the Yankees. I would have preferred it maybe to be in a different spot or more, like, a low because it was still 2-2. And Carrasco has good enough command that you could dot a changeup or a slider whenever you want it. He hit a fucking bullet, 114 miles an hour off the bat. It was just, it's like kind of awe-striking how hard John Carlos Stanton can hit the ball sometimes. It's got a different sound. I went yeah. to a game where he was on the Marlins, and I was in Arizona, so indoor stadium. So the roof's closed, and he hit balls that sounded like a gun was being fired. I was like, that just sounds so different. We see Pete Alonso hit some hard balls. We've been seeing Kevin Pillar hit some hard balls. John Carlos Stanton is just on a different level. Literally, since the StatCast era, he leads all of Major League Baseball and hits balls in play over 110 miles an hour and over 115 miles an hour. And I say that because the StatCast era began 2015. Dracarl Stanton has played some incomplete seasons since then, and he still leads all of Major League Baseball in both of those statistics. I don't think he's going to lose those thrones anytime soon. No, definitely not. Definitely not anytime soon. Luckily for us, the Yankees had Clark Schmidt on the mound, which, you know, a little bit of pain. A second Gamecock. I had to root against two Gamecocks this series, which that's pain for me as a South Carolina alumni. Who's the second? Jordan Montgomery. Oh, nice. I didn't even know that. Yeah, I two like, Gamecocks I, going. I like Jordan Montgomery. Yeah, no, uh, Gumby. He's, he's pretty good. It's but good Clark Schmidt just hasn't been it, has not been it. There's like some hype around him, but I don't really know what he's going to turn into. Luckily for us, he was just not very good in this game, and the Mets did take advantage of him early, like we saw with that Lindor home run. It was good to see. The Lindor home run was also big because he picked up Jonathan VR after striking out with second and third and one out. Because that's something Jonathan Villar does. He's Jonathan Villar, the crazy cowboy. Guy's on base. Runners yeah. in scoring position. He's got to be. He's, he leads off innings. Put the blinders on. Don't see anything. Just hit a single, get a walk. Doesn't matter. But that was important because I feel like if the Mets would have squandered that opportunity after being down early, it could have sent the game down a different path. But of course it didn't because Francisco Lindor is a beast. He shows up. When we need him. He yes. has. He hit some big home runs early in the season. He has gotten some big hits for us, even the one like in Washington. Mm-hmm. He is really starting to heat up. And I think if you're a Mets fan and you've really been watching, you know that the numbers that you're seeing right now in the you know scorebook for his season, that slash line, is not really indicative of how he's played this year. Ooh. One minute ago, breaking news. My guy Tim Ryder just posted the video. You could very clearly hear a whistle right before Higashioka's home run. Ooh! 
juicy. What do you got for me now, John Boy? Are you going to talk about that one? Are you going to do a full breakdown? Let's play it. Two days. You hear that? Oh, that's so loud. I can hear it through Zoom. I'm going to play it again for the listeners at home. Two days. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> oh, spicy. Now, here's the thing. Let's just talk about this now since you just brought it up. Lindor accused the Yankees of whistling. And there is nothing wrong with doing the whistle. Nothing. If there is no uh, peripheral equipment being used. Is mm-hmm. that the right word, peripheral? Yeah, anything extraneous. Yes, no, nothing you know outsourced here. If you're on second base and the Mets are not doing a good job changing up the signs and they're like, hey, one, and they're like, oh, that's a fastball. He literally only put down one sign and you whistle, mm, fastball, that's on the Mets. If there's other stuff being used here to find out these signs, that's where we draw an issue. That's where we have a problem. Be interesting to see how many games we can go back to now and hear some whistles from the Yankees right before they hit home runs. I think it could be fun if maybe while I'm editing this podcast, trying to get up for the listeners before ends of business today, maybe we could also do a voiceover breakdown of some whistling. Uh, The Yankees whistling scandal, comma, a breakdown. Uh, Yeah, that would be such a good idea. No one does anything like that. No, it feels pretty original. I I think think we're going to roll with that. That might be my thing. We'll see how we do. All right, back to this game, though. Carrasco first inning runs. That's the book here. He has now given up 15 earned runs in nine first innings this season. Shocking. It literally doesn't even make sense because every single time he settles in after, he only allowed one base runner between the third, fourth, and fifth innings and just three total from the second inning on. Like, Because that's what he does. He's like fucking good. And like you mentioned before, he was very, very fastball heavy. 51% four seamers. And it was good. Got five whiffs, nine called strikes. The only one that was really bad was that one to Stanton, which I think was just a bad decision or possibly bad location. It was like low middle. You'd never throw John Carlos Stanton to pitch low middle. He hits that hard 100% of the time. Yeah, we saw that later in the game, too, with a low low middle fastball. I mean, but that was also off a tee. Yeah. Again, back to Krasko real quickly. Slider got six whiffs on 11 swings. It was great. He had great command on it. He was putting it in that DeGrom spot where it's just low and outside to right-handed hitters, and they wave at it every single fucking time. He's just really fucking good. I'm so confident Carlos Carrasco for 2022. Like, infinitely confident. Kind of like Jonathan VR. Nobody on base. He's cash money. So we got to somehow convince Carlos Carrasco that it's the second inning. Maybe we have him throw a little simulated game out in the bullpen. Maybe he comes out early and just starts pitching on the mound before the game even starts. Whatever it takes, because there's something going on there with the first inning where he's like, I just, I got to give up some, I got to give up something. I I can't be clean. Just got to like spin him around a few times. Yeah, spin him him. around, disorient him. him. On the scoreboard, maybe just put up second inning. We also, I forgot to mention that the Mets were wearing their home whites for the first time in years on Saturday night. I totally forgot to talk about that. Yes, and they had uh, New York on the front, which is something that the Mets have, I believe, not done in a very long time. Maybe not even ever. Yeah, it was was nice, great uniform weekend. I really like that. MLB allowed the Mets to wear their alternates. They all wore the FDNY and NYPD stuff on Saturday night and Sunday, I believe. It was very well done weekend by Major League Baseball. Yep, good job. They've butchered 9-11 you know, memorial stuff in the past <laughs> where they wouldn't let the Mets wear the NYPD or FDNY hats in years past. And it's mm-hmm. just like, they're like, we'll find you. It's like, Joe Torre, you're such an idiot, dude. Like, you literally were managing the Yankees when all this stuff happened. How can you be so daft to not even understand, like, how important this stuff is to people. Like, it, it is. It's super important to a lot of people. That is the best word you've ever used on this podcast. Daft? Yes. See, keep talking about the Mets. I mentioned Lindor being hot. Let's talk about him here because he stole the night. He was incredible. He hit that home run early, and then he hit a second again, and he put the Mets ahead even more. And as he was rounding the bases, he did the whistle thing, calling it out, looking right at Stanton, right in the eyes, giving him the whistle. And this kind of built a little bit of a narrative for as the game went on, because John Carlos Stanton then gets to the plate later on, 
hits an absolute nuke off of Brad Hand because... I want to talk about the context that led to this John Carlos Stanton home run because I think it's very important. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, okay. tell the context first. Carlos Carrasco finished his five innings because he had the rough first, so he was done. And it was fine. He got like two, two at-bats, which is too, too many for Carlos Carrasco to ever have. Miguel Castro came in and pitched a clean... No, he didn't come in first. I think Familia Maeve started the sixth, and then Castro came in to finish the job. I believe that is it. And then... Yeah, Familia gave up the nuke to Glaber, Glaber, right? that was it. And Castro came in and cleaned up. Okay. So Miguel Castro faced the last two batters of the sixth inning. In terms of the new three-batter minimum rule, if you complete an inning, no matter how many batters you face, you're allowed to be done. But for some reason, Luis Rojas likes to stretch Miguel Castro, and he sent him out there to start the seventh inning. And he immediately gave up a leadoff single to either Mayhew or uh, Rizzo. I don't remember who. But someone got a leadoff uh, base hit. So now... Brett Gardner, okay, it was LeMahieu, because now Brett Gardner was up with, was Gallo on deck? I think Gallo was on deck, because Judge didn't play with the dizziness, correct? Judge Judge got pulled for Gardner. No, for dizziness, yeah. Yeah. Because he's, he's a child, he's not <laughs> he's not tough. So Gardner is up with Joey Gallo on deck, Giancarlo Stanton in the hole, and Anthony Rizzo, no, Anthony Rizzo in the hole, then Stanton, and then Joey Gallo. So you know, based on the three-battery minimum rule here, that Brad Hand is going to face Giancarlo Stanton. It's a fucking guarantee. When you bring him in with him up in three batters, you have to face him. And, of course, he hits a fucking nuke right off him because he threw a low fastball like 93 miles an hour on a fucking tee that was put into the into orbit. And I want to ask you if you would have allowed Brad Hand to get that at bat or if you would have walked Mike Stanton. Oh, I'm a 1,000% walking Mike. Yeah. Mike doesn't see a pitch there. Uh, Jerry Blevins was talking about it on Twitter, too. He was like, you just have to be smarter than that. You have to know that if you are going to throw a fastball— it's got to be two feet off the plate. It can't be anywhere even close to the strike zone. Brad Hand put it on a fucking tee, like you said. I mean, you couldn't have asked for a better BP pitch. He threw right. a 90-mile-an-hour fastball low and inside to Giancarlo Stanton, and he just absolutely demolished it because he's a strong human, and he is a good baseball player. I got in a little fight with my uncle during this because I don't really love the intentional walk, especially with a guy like Joey Gallo on deck, who is, even though he's struggling— he is very likely to hit a home run also off of Brad Hand. At least if John Carlos Stan hits a home run there, it's a guaranteed uh what it's a, that would have been a one run deficit, correct? If if Mike Stan hit the home run? Yeah, because that was that did put us down one. No, that tied the game up. So okay, yeah, that tied the game. So that's what I'm saying. I don't want to put the winning run on base with Brad Hand on the mound. Got you. Got you. I Joey Gallo can't come up with a chance to be leading. As long as it can only be a tie, like I don't want to give the Yankees base runners with these power hitters. Even though Joe, Joey Gallo is supremely worse than Mike Stanton right now, supremely. And you want the lefty lefty matchup, Brad Hand, Joey Gallo. I think that is too. I think that's flying too close to the sun for me. Well, I think anytime you put Brad Hand into the game right now, it's flying too close to anything. I mean, he's just so not good. I don't know what it's going to take for people to start realizing this. But if you watch him play, you dive deeper into the numbers, you look at you look at everything about Brad Hand right now, and you go, this guy stinks. He's horrible. And I can't believe, I can't believe he's being used in high leverage situations after the Blue Jays, who need all the bullpen help in the world, said, nope, we don't want you. Smell you later. Get out of Canada. Don't come back to this country. I just, more breaking news. Tim Ryder's really going through it. We got a lot of whistles from the last few weeks. From the last few weeks. A lot of whistles here. Tim Ryder, baby, let's go. Oriole series, uh, Toronto series. Of course, these are all games the Yankees wound up losing, so the whistles clearly are not helping very much. But the Yankees have been, I'll say it, cheating. Yankees have been cheating. A breakdown. A breakdown. I'm, I'm really interested to see. I mean, 
just to get a little on a tangent here, just to stir the pot a little bit more if we do have any Yankee listeners, and I hope someone clips this and tweets it, but remember when uh, the Astros cheating scandal thing happened and there was that mysterious camera in center field that was found for the New York Yankees, yeah. and that somehow got put under the radar, and then there's all those court documents that aren't allowed to be released to the public that everyone's trying to get released, and the court's like, eh, we can't say it. We're not saying that there anything is bad in here, but we're not saying that there isn't. Something's not adding up here. The Yankees' hands feeling a little dirty right now. Especially when you look at the way DJ LeMahieu played between, what was the first year of the Yankees, 2019, um, correct? Especially when you look at the way he played, Giovanni Urshela, who was a lifetime scrub before coming to the New York Yankees. Specifically, DJ LeMahieu, between his last year with the Rockies and his first year with the Yankees, he cut his whiff rate on breaking balls by like 50%, if not more than that. So that was just a little stat that I've kept in the back of my mind for a few years, just in case something like this ever would have possibly come up. And it looks like it might. It looks like it might. Ah, it'd be great. It'd be great to hear that they were cheating and still couldn't fucking win anything. That'd be so sick. So all the Yankee fans would get over the fucking ALCS that they had no business even winning anyway. No, absolutely not. Uh, Whatever. Past that that part now. Let's talk about Stanton running the bases because he took about as long as humanly possible. And he started chirping with Javi, started chirping with Lindor. While the teams had to be separated and the benches cleared, there was no real scuffle. There was no real anything besides a lot of jawing back and forth. But it's interesting because our favorite, Brett Gardner, that fucking moron, is at third base giving the thumbs down sign. Play the Curb Your Enthusiasm music. Because, uh, yeah, that the game just turned right after that. Immediately turned right back in the Mets' favor. I don't think there's really much else to talk about besides that Francisco Lindor hit his third freaking home run of the game. A nuke. He crushed it. Absolutely destroyed it. We didn't see it land. I literally couldn't believe it. Like, this set the whole world on fire. It was... I, f- I felt like I was just like... I, f- I floated out of my seat. I ascended. I was like, oh my god. <laughs> People were coming out of the woodwork to to say that Francisco Lindor is a great player. People have been hating his guts all season long. And we'll get to more of this for our bad take of the week. But I want to ask Because we you, remember who you are. Yeah, 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 yeah. We, we keep receipts. I'm very aware of all these fucking assholes, the mongoloids of the world. But did you hear the Spanish call of this home run? I did not. It's fucking incredible. You're going to have to send me that on Twitter. I'm going to have to give I that will. a listen because I love one, like, the Spanish announcing in hasta general la is always vista, electric. Baby. Did he say hasta la vista, yeah. baby? Oh, that's Crazy. so awesome. Amazing. That's so awesome. Wait, wait, was it the ESPN guy? Yeah, ESPN Spanish guy. A lo profundo? Did he do that? I think he did. Oh, that's electric. I got goosebumps right now. <laughs> it was incredible. But again, third home run. Second Mets shortstop to ever have three home runs. Jose Reyes was the other one. He did it. On a nice, beautiful evening in Citizens Bank Park in 2006. I remember it like it was yesterday. First Met ever to have three home runs in a Subway Series game, which I was honestly pretty surprised about. And the 11th Met ever to have a home run from both sides of the plate. Just putting his stamp on his standing as the face of this franchise. Yeah, uh, a lot of people all year have been upset with his performance, have been set with what, upset with what he's doing. You've got some numbers for us. I saw these on Twitter earlier. Francisco Lindor basically had about the worst two months you could ever have to start a season. But since June 1st, this guy has been exactly what we expected. He has been really friggin' good. I would say, like, arguably better than what we expected. And I picked the date June 1st, not by accident. It's because on June 1st, we're going to move into our bad take of the week right now. We're done with game three. Uh, yeah, Mets win. Edwin Diaz sealed the deal. He made it really interesting, but he got the job done. John Carlos Stanton, 
he he gave me a little World Baseball Classic vibes. I'm going to say, and you knew I was going to say it. You were ready for this. I didn't even think you were going to say that. <laughs> no. I mean, he just came out and he was like, I'm going to throw 100 miles an hour down your throat and you're going to beat me on my 100, 100 mile per hour fastball. And Giancarlo took some war hacks and yeah. it was terrifying uh-huh. because when you see someone like Giancarlo Stanton hit a foul ball like directly behind him, you're like, oh, he knows what's happening. He's just missing it. And luckily, he got it inside enough. Jammed him, pop up to Francisco Lindor. Mets win the game. Mets win the series. Knock the Yankees out of the playoffs as of right now. And the Mets are slowly building their way back towards maybe a little bit of a playoff run here. We are actually closer in the wild card than we are in the NL East. We're three mm-hmm. and a half back in the wild card, five in the NL East. So it looks like right now the wild card might be our best shot, might be our best chance. The best shot for the Mets is just win the games. Just That's win what the I was games. about to say. Yes, we just have to be worried about winning. And if, listen, if we win, I think we have, what, 16 games left in the season, 16, 17? Something like that. If we win 15 of those and we lose and we don't make the playoffs, damn, we got fucked. I don't know what to tell you. Win them all, then we can't complain. That's pretty high praise there. I wanted to let all listeners know that the Mets lead the National League and run scored in September. That's hilarious. Uh, super fun. Considering we played the Marlins in September and I was ready to jump off the roof of my building. That was the last episode. Yeah, literally. <laughs> it was literally the last time we spoke. But Mets have juice. Things are happening. And I want to transition this into our bad take of the week. It's been a very long time since we did this because we've just been like kind of uh, like overarching bad takes, like telling people who are stupid like to their faces, like through a microphone, of course, not actually to their faces. But this is the first time we're going to get very specific with it because... Francisco Lindor has finally flipped the narrative on his season, in my opinion, and reminded everybody that he is one of the best players in baseball. And I know many of you think that I'm going to talk about Sal Akada for this bad take, because he had one of the worst takes I've ever seen. I'm going to say it right now. Maybe it's me, but if my team was toast, large part because of my failures, I would keep my head down, mouth shut, and just round the bases. I love the passion. I like the fight. But outside of DeGrom, no one on the Mets can talk smack, especially to the Yankees. Why especially to the Yankees? The Yankees haven't done anything in the last 10 years. The Yankees have been somewhat irrelevant outside the fact that they are the New York Yankees and they get clicks and they're the most popular team in the world. They haven't done shit. Especially the guys who are on this Yankees team have really done nothing. No one's from that 9 team besides Brett Gardner. Literally. And again, I want to give Sal Akata his due credit for having one of the worst takes of the season. He's the leader of the Mongoloid Nation. He's a Wilpon shill. He is one of the experts in this field of bad takes. No, few people are better than Sal Akata. Even at just having a name that sounds like, like, regatta that's gone bad. Salicata. <laughs> sounds like awful cheese dripping off a spoon. It, I do gotta say, it is pretty impressive how, like, someone who just, like, really doesn't know anything about any sport whatsoever and talks about all of them like he does continuously gets these jobs. No, I don't know how he does I it. give Salicata all the credit in the world. To be this successful of a con man, you have to be talented. And he is. Yes. He's very good at his ruse. But I want to bring <laughs> this attention back to the Washington Post. Because on June 1st, of this year, 2021, Neil Greenberg, some fucking stupid loser, wrote an article that said Francisco Lindor was done. They said his career was over. This was probably the worst article ever written by like legitimately um, respected publication. Again, this is on June 1st. I want to bring everyone through the idiot translations that Neil Greenberg said to try and actually make himself sound like he knows about baseball. He said that Francisco Lindor was creating runs at a rate that was 16% lower than league average after accounting for league and park effects. That directly translates to WRC+, for the listeners at home. He said that Francisco Lindor was making an out 76% of the time on balls in play. That's your bad bip. He said out rate. That means he's a fucking moron. 
He said Francisco <laughs> Lindor had three seasons of decline. That was 249 games at the time. A full season in 2019, 50 games in 2020, and two months of baseball in 2021. So three seasons, apparently. 249 Which, games. By the way, this is not just a... What's his name? Neil Greenberg? Neil Greenberg. This is not a Neil Greenberg thing. This is the everybody on Twitter thing. He's been bad for the last three years. I'm like, I don't think you know how many games are in a baseball season, apparently. But there are some more Neil Greenberg things, because he called... One of, he said a batting average that we would expect, which directly translates to expected batting average. <laughs> this guy plagiarized Francisco Lindor's baseball savant profile and used the most stupid words in the world to try and hit a word count for his stupid Washington Post editors. It's fucking so dumb. The worst part is that he compared Francisco Lindor's slide to Chris Davis. Who is, I think, undoubtedly the worst baseball player to come across the league in quite some time in like this weird little time where he actually forgot how to play baseball, which included like an 0-for-60 stretch or whatever he had, which doesn't even sound real. Disrespectful. Unbelievably disrespectful to a guy like Francisco Lindor to compare him to Chris Davis. But he didn't even compare him directly. He compared him in a way that showed Chris Davis was better. And here's the quote. Whether Lindor can reverse this trend remains to be seen, but there has been just one player, Chris Davis, from 2015 to 2020, who saw a decline in barrel rate for three straight seasons while still qualifying for the batting title and stopped that slide in year four. Davis's drop-off, however, was from 17% to 10%. The latter mark is a higher barrel rate than Lindor at his peak. So he said that Chris Davis is the only player to rebound from a slide like this in between the years of 2015 and 2020. <laughs> I can't even begin to comprehend or describe how stupid this article was. It's the Billy Madison quote. You have made everyone here dumber for having heard this. It's, yeah, it's shocking. I remember you talking about it. Obviously, it feels like a year ago because June 1st, I mean, I, I could have been 15 years old at that point. I don't remember how long ago that was. But even when you told me, you're like, Evan Green or Neil Greenberg. I don't know why I'm calling him Evan Greenberg. I think I'm combining with him, Evan Roberts, who's also part of our nation over here that we don't like. Mm-hmm. But... I was like, didn't you talk about this guy's article already? You're like, oh, I'm going back to it. It's time no, no, to no. it's time to have receipts. 100%. But I want to also create the distinction that Neil Greenberg is not the same type of mongoloid as Evan Roberts and Salakata. He is like a, a special mongoloid. He's a mongoloid who thinks he's very smart. Lakata and Roberts understand their place as mongoloids, and they are very successful in that field. They're two high-earning mongoloids. They're a great mongoloid lifestyle. Neil Greenberg believes he's smart. He's a secret mongoloid. And since this stupid article on June 1st, Francisco Lindor has played in 61 games. He has a 254, 344, 498 slash. Really good. 13 home runs, 42 RBIs. Oh, 42 runs scored, 41 RBIs, 6 stolen bases, 11% walk rate, 18% strikeout rate, and a 129 WRC+. Not to mention, plays stellar defense. He's really fucking good. I He's a really good baseball player. I can't player. reiterate this enough. And with him playing like this, and Javi Baez playing like this, and most of our rotation pitching well, and not having Gerard Eikhoff on the mound, let's go on a fucking run. It's time. A healthy New York Mets team with Javi Baez and Francisco Lindor playing like they have, and playing like they should be, is scary. I don't think you could have said it any better. I mean, I literally just repeated what you said for a reason. That is a scary, scary combination. Now, the Mets are going to have to go on quite a run. They're going to have to do a lot. But they have a chance to help themselves right now in this next series going up against the St. Louis Cardinals, who's a team who's directly above them right now. And we've been saying it all year long. The Cardinals team's just not that good. This is a very beatable team, and I think the Mets should beat them. I think so, too. And we had a tough series in St. Louis back in May, the series that got Chili Davis fired. And 
you just play this team that's really fucking annoying because their pitchers aren't very good. Most of their lineup is not very good. They have tons of star power with Arenado and Goldschmidt. Tyler O'Neill's turning into a very good player. I think Dylan Solid. Carlson will be as well. But there's no reason not to beat this team, especially because they have disarray in their bullpen right now between Alex Reyes forgetting how to get guys out and Giovanni Gallegos just struggling relatively to how he usually is. Yeah, a little yeah, bit. Of little you, bit of well, he got the guy who, remember, earlier in the year, they made him t- change his hat. It was Joe West. Yeah, and Schilt freaked out. He was like, all right, can't have suntan lotion on there. Turns out Giovanni Gallegos doesn't really know how to pitch without that suntan lotion, it looks like. No, but he's still fine. He's just, like, not as good. He's a guy with an ER eight that starts with a three rather than, like, a 2-2. Two, two. Yeah. But Which doesn't scare me out of the bullpen. No, no, no. He's still good. I'm sure he'll get some key outs this series. But the, for the pitching matchups this week, we have um, the AARP Bowl tonight between Rich Hill and Adam Wainwright, which seeing Adam Wainwright in City Field tonight is going to send me to a different dimension. Fuck Just that like, guy. please, for the love of God, I need this for my own personal brand. I need Adam Wainwright to not pitch an eight inning complete ga- or nine inning complete game shutout tonight because I've been saying all year long that he's just not really that good. Like he's like fake good. Like yeah, his ERA and stuff is like low, but he's by no means. Gary's been doing this a lot. He's like he's in the Cy Young conversation. I was like he's not. Let's let's stop that. Like he's as much in the Cy Young conversation as Marcus Stroman. I'll hear an argument for Wainwright and Cy Young. He's striking out more guys than he ever has in his career. In but terms is of he better than the guys, the no, five no, no, no. who are like the clear in, in the national? In league. the conversation doesn't mean like in the top three. I think Wainwright's probably going to come in like seventh. He'll get down ballot votes. Probably very similar to Marcus Stroman. But past that, we do have Marcus Stroman pitching on Tuesday against Jake Woodford, who we better, we better fucking hit that guy. And on Wednesday, it's going to be a hilarious matchup between Tyler McGill and John Lester. Oh, my God. I hope those two shake each other's hand before the game. I would love <laughs> Tyler McGill to learn a thing or two from John Lester. Yeah, the Cardinals did that interesting thing where they didn't go for it at the deadline and somehow paid, paid off. They mm-hmm. traded for John Lester and Jay Happ, who are two not very good pitchers anymore Hap's by any good. means. Happ's been good for them. Really? Yeah, he has. I mean, get Jay Happ back in the National League in a big ballpark like Bush Stadium, and you, you could find a way to be successful. <laughs> Give up some deep fly balls, and he'll 100%. be all right. Like, he was like... Only one year ago, Jay Happ was formidable. I just, I, I feel like if you're a, a fan of your baseball team, I feel like Cardinals fans would admit this too. You couldn't have been happy when you're like, oh, we're, we're maybe could fight for a playoff spot. Who would we get? John Lester and Jay Happ to add to Kwang Young Kim and Adam Wainwright, all guys who throw exactly the same. But it's been working recently. They've been playing some good baseball. Before Jake Woodford came back from injury and rejoined this rotation, Jay Happ had the hardest average fastball velocity. In this rotation. I think I dropped that like a month ago, but I just want to remind everyone because of how ridiculous that sentence is. 91? About. 90 and a half. <laughs> God. Which, which, as we know, is the kryptonite of the New York Mets. Yeah. We got a lot of soft tosses this series. That's, I just thought about that. I'm a little bit worried about uh, John Lester on Wednesday evening. He's coming in throwing 86. That's going to be it's gonna be tough to hit. Didn't we have a John Lester bet this year? Uh, maybe it could be someone else. Could be someone else. I'll check my receipts later. But before we finish this preview, I have a really fun stat about tonight's matchup, courtesy of Sarah Langs. Slangs on sports on Twitter. Great follow. I think she's like one of the best baseball Twitter personalities right now. Rich Hill and Adam Wainwright will start against each other tonight for the first time since May 2nd, 2008. That's 4,882 days in between uh, matchups. We were 12. 12. And that's not even the longest of all time. That's third longest. All right. What are, what are, what's the longest? The longest. All right. Here are the two longest. Second longest is John Smoltz and Greg Maddox between July 10th, 1992 and May 9th, 2007. Yep. And the longest, long. over a thousand days longer, 6,439 days between matchups, Jamie Moyer versus Randy Johnson between September 21st, 1989, the 80s. Oh my God. And crazy enough, May 9th, 2007, the same day that John Smaltz and Greg Maddox faced each other. So the two longest stretches between starting pitchers facing each other ended on the same day when we were 12. 
Baseball does some weird shit, man. Baseball will have like those weird coincidences, coincidences weird stats, weird stories. This is going to be, uh, hopefully, uh, an exciting game to watch for, as a Mets fan. Hopefully a lot of runs. Hopefully we smack around Adam Wainwright. As we know, he kind of owns us. Mm-hmm. He's We kind of just can't get over that Adam Wainwright hill. But there's no reason we shouldn't be able to hit him. The way that we've been swinging the bat recently with Lindor being hot, coming off the best game of his New York Mets career, with Javi being hot, Pete was hot before swinging the bat well. There's a way that this Mets team can definitely take this series. It shouldn't be too difficult. That being said, we know how the season's gone. We know that the Cardinals are playing good baseball. If the Mets want to continue on this playoff push, on this playoff path, you got to take two of three from St. Louis. I was about to say you probably have to sweep. I'm a little bit worried about tonight's game just because, again, Wainwright, but... The Mets have been so good at home this year and so bad on the road that they really have to take advantage of this nine-game homestand. The Mets are 43-28 and 28 this year at home and 29-44 and 44 away from it. Wow. Massive difference. The only team, I'm not doing any math right now, but the only team I could see with that big of a difference in win percentage, just again from the eye test, is the White Sox, who are 23 games over 500 at home and two under on the road, and the Rockies. But I've talked about that a lot in this show. The Rockies just cannot lose at home and they cannot win on the road. No, they refuse. Although, they have been helping us out beating the Phillies around, which was nice. Yeah, yeah. but again, we have a nine-game homestand here. Just took care of the Yankees. Now we have the Cardinals and the Phillies, the two teams directly ahead of us in the wildcard race, at home with a healthy pitching staff and a lineup that's blazing hot. And we yep. have to take advantage. This is it. Put up or shut up time. This, this is the week. This is the week. This is the one that can make or break the season right now. Win the series. Win one game at a time. Come out, swing the bats well. Play good baseball. Can't be upset. The Mets somehow talked me off the ledge because, of course, they did. I was done after the Marlins series. I was ready to throw in the towel. I did, and they just pulled me the fuck back in. You know what? I'm going to enjoy it. I'm going to watch these games. I'm going to have a nice beer. I'm going to be happy. I'm going to say, hey, we're getting meaningful games in September. This isn't what I hoped for, but I will take it based on what we had been seeing. And again, just enjoy baseball. Enjoy it. We're trying to keep it positive here now on the Mets Up podcast as we have all season long. You got one super, super negative episode. We had one tantrum. It happened. Has to happen. We were due. It was a boiling point. We lost the fucking Marlins, and we lost in spectacular fashion. I mean, plus Brad Hand pitching. Brad Hand, anytime that guy comes on the mound, I will say this. I will not be pleased anytime he comes out onto the mound. Thank God that if there is a world where the Mets make the playoffs, Brad Hand physically can't be on the roster. That's one positive to take. I just think I get this guy off the team. No, no ifs, ands, or buts. No ifs, ands, or buts. And Rojas... Please, for the love of God. Because I think he makes the bullpen decisions. I do. Yeah, I yeah. think you can't have that come from the GM. No, no doubt. Stop going to him. Stop going to him in games that we're winning. If we're down four, let Brad Hand pitch five. Let his arm fall off. Don't care about the health of his left arm. Oh, at no, all. I, I, I could not care less about the rest of Brad Hand's career. And you know what, Brad Hand? He kind of needs it to, maybe. That might be the best way for him to maybe get a little, a little check to walk away from baseball. But my God, stop using him in games where we're winning and it's close late in games. I can't handle it. I can't. I can't do it. So yeah, guys, that's it. Episode number 49 of the Mets Up Podcast. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you guys for watching on YouTube. If you have, make sure you're following us on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, at Mets Up, YouTube channel, Mets Up Podcast. Follow James on Twitter, Jeter Had No Range. Me, Giraffe Neck Mark with a C, of course, on Twitter. We're always tweeting, as well as on the Mets Up uh, account as well. And we'll be watching this Cardinals series close. One of the most important series of the season. You know that we'll be here talking about it after it ends for episode number 50, the Big 5-0, halfway to a century pretty impressive we've done a very good job on the podcast i'm gonna pat myself on the back there and also thank you to you guys you guys have been supporting the hell out of us even with the start of football season and all the ups and downs of this new york Mets season a lot of great support so we do appreciate you thank you guys for listening thank you guys for watching thank you guys for following and we'll catch you on the next episode of the Mets up podcast peace out peace out guys see you next time